Jesus said to the 12 apostles, a disciple is not above the teacher nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, and even the hairs on your head are all counted. But do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I used to teach rock climbing lessons in seminary for grocery money. I taught a lot of little kids and like a few dozen adults as well. There's a lot of birthday parties. And like most things, when you're learning, there's a gap between understanding what someone has explained to you and then actually doing that thing with your hands and your feet. Oftentimes, I would be helping someone, I'd be tying them in, and I would explain the same way that I was taught to rock climb. Rock climbing is really just like climbing a ladder. Right? When you climb a ladder, do you pull yourself up with your arms, or do you step with your feet? That's not rhetorical. <laughs> feet, right? Feet first. The exact same with rock climbing. Feels a little upside down. It maybe feels counterintuitive to how you might imagine it, but climbing is all about feet first. And the person I would be instructing would nod their head, you know, you're like, well, if you can do it, I'll be fine. And without fail, they would get maybe six feet off the ground, just high enough that it starts to be a little uncomfortable and a little scary. And then they would just be hanging by their fingertips, trying to pull themselves up, exhausting their muscles. Their feet would be flailing off to one side. 
I tell you, I often had those like big burly weightlifters come to my section of the wall. And they, they, you know, like, oh, I've, I've got this. You don't need to explain it. And six feet up, they would start squeaking, let me down, let me back into the weight room. This week's gospel is part two of the same story that we got last week. Last week, Matthew in this gospel introduced the 12 disciples by name, the 12 who had been chosen, including, quote, Judas who would betray Jesus. And it's almost like a throwaway line. But Matthew's doing like a clever little hat tip as a writer. He knows we know the story. He knows that we know the guys. He knows that we know what's about to happen. But he wants to know what we're going to do about it. Just knowing the story is not what makes us better disciples. What makes us better disciples is seeing where we are tempted to betray Jesus too. Seeing where our spiritual muscles are weak by starting to use them. And then learning how to be faithful Christians and a faithful church all together. It's one thing to hear the story. It's another thing altogether to do it with your hands and your feet. In this week's gospel, Jesus continues to give those instructions to the disciples he's getting ready to send out for the first time. And while it may seem simple enough to take up our cross and proclaim it loudly from the rooftops, this is where the rubber really meets the rock. See, being a Christian is not a spectator sport. Christianity is not some philosophy that we can sit and read or that makes us feel warm and fuzzy and then approximately an hour later we leave through those doors unchanged. Christianity can't just exist in your head. Christianity exists in your body. How you live and move and have your very being. Being a Christian is not a spectator sport. You're going to have to touch rock and start to climb. And so we know the story, we've been tied in, now let's see what it does in your life. Like rock climbing, the kingdom of God feels a little upside down, feels a little counterintuitive. Our original sin tells us that we can just muscle our way through and dominate. But the kingdom of God, following the way of Jesus, being a disciple, is feet first. It's following his steps because Jesus says that all you need to do to be a disciple is follow the steps of the teacher. And so it's getting down on your hands and knees and washing feet, because that's what Christ did too. That original sin, what we call original sin, is the consequence of Adam and Eve disobeying God, right? We remember that part of the story too. We know how that one ended. It's an ancient story that speaks to us something that we can observe and that we know innately. That we know there is a good way to live as a species. And yet somehow, as humans, it is not in our nature to do so. We must consciously choose it. 
we so often thoughtlessly do not. As humans, we need and depend on each other. We need and depend on each other for food and for safety, and yet we struggle to think of more than just ourselves. That original sin can be given a lot of names and it shows up in a lot of different ways. And one way that we might name it is power and possession. Because we depend on each other for safety and survival, we often find ourselves either with power over another person or with someone having power over us. So a parent has power over a child, a boss over their employee, two spouses will dance back and forth in power dynamics. It can be a gift of service, it can be an offering of love, or it can be corrupted into possession. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, there's a woman named Pam whose son has died. We meet her as she's trying to make her way into paradise, and her brother comes to help walk her there. And she is angry that it's her brother meeting her and not her son. We learn that when her son died, she made his bedroom into an untouched shrine that no one else was allowed into. And she turned her back on her friends, turned her back on her husband, she turned her back on God and her church so that she could, as she put it, love her son perfectly. She tells her brother that she's come to get her son and take him back with her to the gray place. I love him, she says. He is mine. He is coming back with me. He is mine. Her brother tells her to love God and long for him first. Her brother tells her that she isn't only a mother, but first and foremost, she is a child of God. Her brother tells her that if she would just surrender, the journey into paradise would be easy, and her son is waiting for her there in God's embrace. Pam clung to her ideal life, and she lost it as we all do in death. It was altogether a living death. If she could just let go of that for God's sake, she would find it better than she could have dreamed once again. She could have chose a dying life. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So often, we idolize family as this ideal to uphold. We love one another with a possession. We love our institutions with a possession. We fail to give to God what is God's to be given. And that power and that lure of possession and that fear of what it might mean if we lose those things tempt us to betray Jesus and to cling to the identities that we would hold as golden calves. Daughter, mother, son, 
father, founding member, priest. Jesus warns the disciples that as they preach the good news of Christ in their synagogues, their own family will turn against them. As they preach the good news, families will turn against the members in their family that hear that good news and begin to follow the way. The congregations will be divided. The very things that we think hold us together, the very things we think glue together the fabric of society could be divided as though by a sword. Just as original sin was the consequence of Adam and Eve, this kind of conflict is the consequence of truth. The things that we would hold up as idols are smashed at the feet of truth. But this is not something to fear. The truth will set us free. The truth of God, the love of Christ above all else, sets us free to rightly love each other. A rightly ordered love makes for a right relationship. The sword will pierce your own heart too. It is a sword not to conquer others with, but that we might be conquered. A sword not to dominate and crusade, a sword not to gain power and possession, but to empty ourselves as Christ poured himself out for us. The sword that Christ yields is the cross. And by that cross, we may also die to sin, that sin that seems baked into the DNA of humanity and rise to a new life in Christ. So if you consider yourself baptized, if you were buried in these waters and risen in a new life of faith, then what does it look like for you to daily reorder your life as though you were still dripping wet? Will you choose to live a dying life? Or will you have a living death? Take up this cross, follow Jesus into life. It's counterintuitive that you would lose your life in order to find it. It's counterintuitive that we would find joy by relinquishing control. The way of Christ is not one that we can muscle through. It is an upside down kingdom where by giving up our power and possession, we find ourselves victorious in Christ Jesus, it is a feet-first way we learn in our bodies by doing as the teacher does. Love Jesus. Then love like Jesus. Embody that love, and all the rest will follow. And do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to lose the life that you know. Do not be afraid of the hardship or the conflict or what your mother will say. Love God and live in that abundant life of Christ. Because we are not to fear the world, we are to fear God. To fear the God who holds us more precious 
than the sparrows he so faithfully feeds. Nothing is so powerful against fear as truth. And God will provide everything that you need. We know the story. You're tied in by the Spirit's tether in baptism. Now let's see what it does in your life. This is a podcast of St. Martin's in the Fields in Columbia, South Carolina. Pay us a visit here on campus, come worship with us on Sundays, or visit us online at smifsc.com. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your podcast channels, and leave a comment. Let us know if you like this episode, if you like this format. We want to hear from you. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.